we are naturally very sort of, oh, well, I can't do anything else, especially if you've gone straight from school to university to foundation jobs and, and so on. You kind of look back and think, well, that's all I all I can do is is this, where it takes someone external to go, well, they've got loads of skills. And then they get trotted out so much, the sort of communication, the leadership, the prioritisation and stuff. You go, well, yeah, that's just me doing my job. But how is that relevant to anything else? You're like, that's so relevant to everything else. <laughs> Let's face it, burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Babas-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect one million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. For those of you watching and listening, welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm here with Dr. James McFetrich, who is an emergency medicine consultant and has one more week to go before he jumps (laughs) completely from clinical medicine. And uh, this conversation today is really focused on his journey from clinical medicine as a consultant to essentially an entrepreneur as a freelance medical educator setting up a business. So I know there are so many doctors out there who at different stages of their career, not necessarily consultant level, who are thinking about how do I actually make that move and what steps does it take? What are the challenges? Uh, what are the benefits? And how to actually negotiate that move as well? Because, you know, it's, it's quite difficult to so I'm going to do something and then quit your job and then jump into it. Some people do that and that works for them. But for others, you really want to manage the risks of things going wrong. <laughs> I know I did. Anyway, and I'm, I'm still a medical doctor. I'm still doing clinics. So I'm still managing that risk. But anyway, I'm really, it's a real pleasure to have you with us today, James. No worries. It's uh, great to have an opportunity to talk about my journey as it has been so far and hopefully of interest to, to other people in similar situations or just of, of general interest anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's invaluable, hence why I invited you. Um, <laughs> so anyway, let's start from the beginning and learn a little bit more about you and your background. Um, so how long have you been working in, or I'd say, from training, from when you started training, how long have you been in emergency medicine now? Uh, so that's nearly 20 years. Wow. Which feels like a really long time. It sounds uh, like a In fact, I worked out the other day, for the podcast to do at work um i was trying to work out how many patients i've been involved in their care for because obviously in a and e we're not seeing everyone but when we're running the department there are a lot of patients at each shift and i think it's about fifty thousand people that will have passed through the doors of emergency medicine when i've been the consultant in charge and that's just insane and i have to keep checking it but it, it must be about that kind of number which is just crazy so it feels like a lot of a lot of time spent <laughs> It's a real, it sounds like a really long time. Uh, for some for some other people are listening and like, ah, I've been here for 30, 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's nothing. So I guess so obviously my next question is, at what point were you thinking about doing something beyond clinical medicine? So why? Um, the absolute honest answer, <laughs> and you know, this may or may not be a bit of appeal. So my third day as a doctor... Ever. I was on ever so back as a house officer back in 1997 my first evening on call 
and it was just horrific. And I know we've all been there. We've all had those horrible shifts, and especially right at the start. And I came home, and I was I was ready to quit and everything. And then you know the next day, woke up and thought, yeah, no, that's fine. I can carry on. But interesting, now I'm at the stage I'm at. Looking back, there's been a theme every two, three, four years where. I've clearly had a bit of a slump in what am I doing? Am I happy with my training? Is this the right thing for me? Where I've done nothing more than think hard about should I be doing something else? So there's always been this kind of thing in the background. And I think that's perfectly normal and natural. I think that's that's to be embraced. I think it's a good thing to challenge yourself. But it's kind of always been there. Uh, and about seven or eight years ago, I started a plan B file just because I'd see some adverts for jobs and think, oh, I'll just cut that out and... Uh, and, and put that to one side. I love that. So, Plan B file. I love that. Yeah. And, and yeah. Do you know, I, I had no intent at leaving at that stage at all, but it was really nice to see what else was around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I'd sort of kind of think, okay, well, if this job comes up, I don't know, the sort of things I was looking at, it's always been in education in some form, um, but I'd see uh, some academic education things, say, and I'd look at that and go, yeah, I could do that, actually, but, do you know, looking at the salary and where it is and what's involved, I could do that, but I don't really want to at the moment. But that's nice to know it's there and I'll, I'll move on. So I've always had this kind of thing in the background. And then about three years ago, pre-pandemic, I thought, actually, what really made me think seriously about it was what am I going to do in the next 10 years? So I'm in my late 40s now. I can do the job now. That's fine. That's not a problem. But I was increasingly worried. What would I do in 10 years time? Well, I'd still need to work. I definitely need to work till I'm 60 uh, before I can retire. How am I going to manage in this job at that stage? And I started to think, actually, you know, I don't want to be the guy who at that stage is turning up to work going, this is absolutely miserable and I hate it and I can't do it, but I just need to do two more years and I'll be fine. I, I could not face ending my career like that. So then I started thinking, well, what do I do before then? When's the right stage to to change is it in my mid 50s early 50s and that stage got earlier and earlier and earlier and I thought actually if I'm going to make a proper second career that's different and I'm thinking about it now I probably ought to do it sooner rather than later so that was pre-pandemic then the pandemic arrived and obviously we also got a bit tied up in that and that was a, a, a change obviously in how it worked and it revitalized things a bit but then once things settled down a bit at the end of last year and we kind of understood what the new normal was at that time. That's where I started thinking, right, if I'm going to make a change, I really need to make a change. So I spent a lot of the last half of last year talking to a lot of people, doing a lot of research, thinking about things, and probably made the decision January-ish time before I even sort of spoke to my colleagues directly about it. And then January, February, I sort of thought, no, right, I'm going to do it, and it's going to be this summer. Uh, so it was very much a gradual thing, which is how I wanted to do it. I needed to plan it, have a, a plan in place. But there's always been that slight kernel, you know, like I say, since my first week at work. But I've managed 25 years in the NHS. I mean, I think it's really impressive. I don't think you are unique in any way in that sense. No. That, you know, I think, as you said, it's quite normal and natural to be thinking about other options from the yeah. start. You're yeah. like, is this really for me? And... You know, there are multiple reasons why you stay. There's multiple reasons why some people decide to go. And it's all about the push and the pull factors. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's great that you went through this period where you actually reflected on 
where you want to be in the future, how long it take it will need for you to retire and planning within that. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's lots of other factors to consider. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that story in itself is really valuable to, to doctors who are listening that can really identify with that. Yeah. Can give yourself a little mini structure and to how to approach things without making it feel too risky and un- too uncomfortable. It'll be yeah. uncomfortable, but too uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Right. There's got to be a bit of discomfort in there. It has to be in there. Of course, of course. So, so have you? So you've already started your business, right? Yeah. So at the start of this year, um, I've really started ramping things up. So I thought the best and I'd, I did a lot of obviously thinking about it as I say one really helpful thing was um, I signed up for some counselling with uh, a, a, these guys called career psychologists that they stand in London yeah so that was they're not medic specific um, and this isn't a promotion of them they just happen to sort of fit with what I felt I needed yeah and so they work through a lot of interesting things like the values that I feel for work the values that I feel for me where my interests lie lots of lists of things and just kind of yeah I think I like this I don't think I like that and it was just a different good way of of looking at things I liked and I kept coming back to education and that was kind of always what I thought I'd probably end up doing in some form but that was nice to have that confirmed I guess by going through this process so over the past five six years I've done occasional bits of education outside the NHS uh, mainly with GPs my wife's a GP um, and a lot of it has been sort of teaching basic life support, the kind of things that a lot of GP practices need to get through CQC. So I've had some experience of earning money, you know, total of about £2,000 a year, <laughs> you know, not, not big bucks, but I've had some kind of experience of putting myself out there and, and trying to sell myself. Um, and then I thought, right, I need to properly do this looked into how I set up a company. Um, so I'm a sole trader um, as a freelance medical educator. Um, and I basically sort of look into any educational needs that people need within the medical field. And using a few contacts, uh, so I've spread the work that I do with GPs a bit. Um, I uh, got some work through Health Education Northeast. Because uh, that's where I'm based up in the northeast, um, and they. Okay, I'm, I want to. I'm going to stop you there. Okay. <laughs> actually, you're going. You're going into a really important part of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like work back, actually, to when you made that decision to go and see a career psychologist. Okay. So, because like we we come across a lot of doctors, well, everyone, including myself, uh, when we get to a point like we know we don't want to do what we're doing for the rest of our lives. But we're not we don't really have that much clarity as to where we're going to go to and what we're going to do or what's going to be the right move yeah so what was it that prompted you to say i'm going to look into career psychology so obviously a lot of doctors also kind of look at career coaching yeah do you have any thoughts on on how you know your decision making around that and what your expectations were so they're recommended by a friend which all okay. ridiculous how much that helps doesn't it <laughs> oh they liked it it must be good but what I really liked about the because I had a a free first discussion um, with the guy uh, who ended up uh, taking me through the whole process what I really liked was that they were saying this isn't about you changing your career if you end up going through this process and you stay in the same career that's fine yeah that's not a problem whereas a lot of other things that I looked at it was it's a subtle twist but you know you want a new career will help you find your new career and that's good. That's clearly important. But 
I, I wanted to make sure that it was the right thing to do to leave my career rather than going, how do I build a new career? Right, so, okay. So as, it was a, the focus that you chose was to actually make the decision to leave emergency medicine as a consultant. Yeah. Because clinical practice. Yeah, so it very introspectively is, am I just getting miserable with this job? Is it just mm -hmm. me? Is it just a bad patch? And I think, again, talking to people in similar sort of situations, that is perhaps more typical as a consultant because I know my job. I've been, I've been a consultant for 14 years. I kind of know what it is. It's clearly changed over that time. But broadly, I, I know what's going on. So why am I feeling it's different? Is it, is it perhaps my approach to it? Because the job is a job and I've clearly managed it for 14 years. And when I was looking at what other people were doing and the kind of um, things that you guys were putting out at Medic Footprint, you'd look at, uh, it, I could see that if I was a trainee, I'd be thinking differently because I'd be thinking, I've chosen this route into this form of training. Oh, is this actually what I want? Well, I've got the opportunity to change. But I was like, I don't think I can change. And I did consider it. I did think, do I need to retrain in something? I just kept thinking, oh, even three, four, five years retraining in something is just, <laughs> I don't think I can cope with that. So yeah, I, mean, I just want to pick you up on that particular yeah, yeah. because um, as you as you get older, your priorities in life are quite different usually from when you first started medicine and you started medicine in your 20s. For example. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so later on, yeah, the priorities are much different. You've been through you've been through a certain amount of life yeah. and maybe better, better positions to make better decisions for yourself when it comes to yeah. lifestyle and career and so people who are later on down the line that that kind of vision of going back feeling like you're going back to the start yeah. again yeah. when you're changing specialties is really challenging especially going down a conventional specialty training number route yeah yeah um, I mean I'm just going to relate to that in the sense that you know I started off with my surgical training um and then uh, wait, when did I change I changed from surgery to occupational medicine about eight years after I graduated oh, okay so, uh, so essentially eight six eight years of surgery yeah but getting to that point where I was like actually put surgery aside it's actually really hard yeah but at the same time I I had similar questions like do I really need to go back to the beginning and, and actually occupational medicine is actually quite relatively far removed from a lot of specialties so yeah. in some ways it was like starting from scratch, but the reality is there was another option. So I don't have to go down the specialty training route, but not, not many doctors are really aware of this. Just I say for some reason, I'm sure there are really good reasons for this, but they're not really aware about the Caesar route, even though yeah. it's kind of been yeah. bounced about and maybe associated with some specialties more than others. It's not utilized as much. Yeah, I guess you can bring into that your experience, even though it's from a different specialty. Exactly. You can still say these are the skills that I have. Yeah much easier to bring in your other experience because it's about demonstrating equivalence to a specialty trainee um, in, in that specialty and it's providing the evidence of equivalence. Um, so that is another option for doctors who may want to move specialties but they don't want to start from scratch. Yeah. And also it's really important to realise that the Caesar route or the do-it-yourself route in the UK, if you're in the UK, 
Um, can be done with any specialty, literally any GMC yeah. listed specialty. I've been on some groups where they're like, oh, you can only do it for some certain specialties. No, you can do it for every single one, even yeah. general practice, guys. Yeah. <laughs> That's all yeah. I'm going to say. But anyway. And it but, but, yeah. comes a lot to um, understanding of your own skill set. Yes. I think we are naturally very sort of, oh, well, I can't do anything else because especially if you've gone straight from school to university to, to foundation jobs and, and so on. You kind of look back and think, well, that's all I all I can do is is this. Where it takes someone external to go, well, they've got loads of skills, and then it, it, they get trotted out so much. The sort of communication, the leadership, the prioritization, and stuff. You go, well, yeah, that's just me doing my job. But how is that relevant to anything else? You're like, that's so relevant to everything else. Yeah, right. uh, we we lose that that fact i think uh, at times so yeah i'm sure the the caesar process absolutely takes account of yeah those skills that may not be directly relevant to the clinical especially from a clinical perspective but absolutely relevant to being a senior in in those specialties yeah and that that's exactly what i ended up doing so i did three occupational medicine four years training program from sc3 three years of specialty training i burnt out in my third year <laughs> i quit my specialty training program and then i went off and worked as a self-employed occupational health physician and got some more experience in medical footprints as well. And yeah. then use that combination of skill set from both to say, this is my final year equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here you go. And, you know, got through. <laughs> so um, you can be a lot more creative, I find, with yeah. um, Caesar. Um, but yeah, but anyway, move, moving, moving back to you. Okay, I mean, I think that's really insightful about you going to the career psychologist mm-hmm. and focusing on, do I, do I want to leave emergency medicine? Yeah. Um, and, and also that led you to the decision to say, I'm going to focus on medical education because that's something yeah. you've had. You'd had some experience in the past. You yeah. earned some money in the past. Two grand. It's not too bad, really. I know it's a year, but very bad. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to <laughs> start somewhere, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, so the next step is how, how do you decide to position yourself so you, you started touching yeah. upon oh I, I got I got some work with HEE I got some work with blah I got some work with blah yeah. how did you go about doing that <laughs> how did so, you how did you get started because yeah, like, like, how do you get started really you good walk question in and be like give me some money so interestingly I, I, I felt slightly bad about talking about this to people especially clinicians because you kind of feel you're letting the team down which I know is ridiculous but it's it's just how you feel and then I realized once I was told my colleagues I was leaving and that it was a definite decision in my head that actually it would really help me to keep talking about it and funnily enough the more I talked about it, the more people were going oh that's great hey do you know these guys down here they might be interested and them over there they might be interested and so I was rapidly getting all these things to look at, some of which I knew, even when they first told me, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be interested in doing that at all. But I would still take that information on. And so I went through this phase, so February, March, April of this year, of just getting loads of thoughts, coming back home, writing down on a piece of paper, okay, if I did that, how much would that earn me? What's realistic to uh, what time I could put into it? What's realistic as to what uh, money I get paid for it? And that would have helped me prioritise which bits that I followed up. Uh, and also you got the sense of some people, you know, the, the guys at Health Education up here were, you know, they were so positive and so like, yeah, brilliant. We can definitely do something with you. And 
they might have just been that's the way they approach everyone <laughs> but I really felt oh this is something worth pursuing where other people were a bit more yeah you know it might work um so some of the work with universities you know universities are really complex structures yeah okay, going back going back so just to clarify you managed to get what we call in the business world leads so potential okay. prospects or potential clients yeah through you simply talking about what you were planning to do yeah yeah literally just being comfortable but I had to be comfortable in myself about it yeah, and there were times course, that, the first couple of conversations I felt quite that took some time and it took some practice yeah yeah but, but in order to practice you need to do it yeah absolutely. go through that period of feeling like uh, feeling uncomfortable to get yeah. past it right yeah. and once um, I've done that with people that I knew then it was easier on things like LinkedIn sure um, and you know I wouldn't say I'm a great understander of the the powers of LinkedIn but you know it's fairly easy to sign up and kind of go oh that's a job I might be interested in Mm-hmm. there are a couple of things of people that I contacted just by email and said look this is me this is what I think I'm interested in um and some things worked and some things didn't and that was a massive learning curve for me I, I kind of knew that not everyone's going to go oh brilliant we've just been waiting for you <laughs> but also it's really difficult to keep putting yourself out there going yeah I'm really interested in this knowing that I don't know 60 70 percent of the stuff that I was going after that people were turning around and going great but but not now or actually that's not what yeah. i'm interested in at the moment um and it's really difficult not to be disheartened by that yeah. but i'd because i'd already made my decision this wasn't helping me make the decision whether to leave or not i've made my decision to leave so it's kind of easier to go that's fine i'm just going to keep going keep going keep going mm-hmm. and every i wouldn't even call them rejection but every sort of downturn of interest would fire me up to go right I really must get this aspect sorted. I really must get my biography sorted or I've been needing to set up a website for ages. Let's just take the next step to doing it because I can do something positive despite these negativities. But just following up loads and loads of stuff was was a really important phase. That's a really important point there. So what you've essentially described is part of the going out to the market is market research yes yeah. so seeing what the market kind of so it is the market so these are your potential clients that give give back to you like what what is available what do they want what's the biggest need in the market how yeah. can you fill in that gap to really address that need for them so that when they are ready or you can identify the right kind of people that you want to work with that they say god that's exactly what we need yeah and that is art because as as you described like a lot of this also is about trial and error the rejections you learn so much from those in itself that it helps you to shape your offering or helps you to really again I go back to the word positioning I love that word it helps you to position yourself in a certain way that you want to say this is what I do this is what I don't do and this is who I work with and this is who I don't work with yeah and the more specific you are in your own creative niche, the more focused you can be on who you go out to. Like you described, someone yeah. offered you a, a lead or a potential contact and you were like confident you did not want that. <laughs> so you knew already, I am not going to do that work. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. when something does come your way, you can spot that quite quickly. It's like medicine, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah, so yeah, much yeah. like medicine in that way, right? You know, you take a history from someone and you know, just even by looking at them, <laughs> whether they're going to go home, whether they're going to come yep. in, 
without them saying too much you know so it's, it's a similar thing and that takes practice that yeah. takes experience and also just being cognizant of of what you're doing as well and reflecting yeah. on that experience and learning yeah. from those mistakes and feedback and all of that jazz right because yeah. there's a change I, I love that uh, parallel with talking to patients because there's a change where I'd be talking to people um, and it's just a conversation and you know people are generally nice and they like having a conversation um, and I'm, well I'm still learning but I, I'm better than I was at sort of picking up this is just a conversation we're just having a bit of a chat <laughs> over a coffee to yeah actually you're quite keen in doing something and I'm quite keen in doing something. And there's just a, a, a slight difference in how we're negotiating this, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost like the, um, uh, you know, when you're dating someone, you know, yeah. <laughs> back in the day and it's all kind of, yeah, yeah, I'll see you again. <laughs> it's not going to happen, but I'm saying the right words compared to, yeah. no, 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 let's really meet up again. Um, and uh, there's those subtleties because what I want is people to be able to go brilliant, I'll sign you up. This is what we're going to do. And clearly no one's ever going to do that. But there's a finding out about how each other works and a kind of, yeah, we'll send a few emails and maybe we'll have another meeting in a month's time. And that's all really good stuff, even though inside I want to know, right, how much are you going to pay me? (laughs) How long is this going to last? I need the details. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) I know we're going to comment further on that, but yeah. Because you, because again, it's it's more relation. Like when when you're building a business, whether it's just you or a few people, like a relationship's a king, really. And it it takes time. It takes depending on the nature of the business. But yeah, a lot of these things take time and persistence and keeping in touch, just like you are with friends, right? Yeah. You look at some of our closest friends. We can't even remember exactly remember like how we first started talking to them or why they're still our closest friends. But (laughs) but you know that they are. Yeah. And that's happened over time, that relationship development. And through that yeah. has, has borne lots of amazing opportunities, um, some of which you could never even predicted. So it's, it's very similar with business. It is about relationships. Yeah. And so my next question is, as we've described, this takes time. Have you managed to do this alongside your clinical work? Where have you, fit, where, where have you managed to fit that in? Yeah, so that's been tricky because... I made the decision to leave and I only needed to give three months notice, but I, I gave well, it was five and a half months notice because it finishing in July just fitted with my other commitments. So I've had this really long time of knowing what I want to do, but still wanting to do my current clinical job well. So yeah. I don't want to just walk away. I don't want to turn up to every uh, shift going, well, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I want to be a good doctor. So I've had to be quite careful about finding time to do the stuff outside of my normal work because clearly it's a lot more effort than I would have done previously. I've done a lot of work at weekends, which isn't been great for the family, but it's Mm -hmm. a a lot of it is email, it's thinking time, it's, you know, working out my strategies, all that uh, kind of stuff. And then identifying when is right for me to spend days teaching outside of work so I don't want to cut into my leave because leave is really important I'm a big uh, believer in getting that balance right but I'm setting up something new I can't just put it all to one side till the summer so I would very carefully look at my diary and go right that's a, a block of time that I'm going to be off it would normally be a full week but maybe just on that Friday I'll you know I'll have the, the, the week off before then and that's my annual leave but on that Friday 
I'm going to pretend I'm at work and I'll offer to do some teaching or, or you know, I'll meet up with my accountant or, you know, these, <laughs> the dull things that you need to do, setting up a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you've, you've got to put time aside for it. So there's been a lot of that slight juggling. And uh, I'm sure my friends and family will tell you over the past few months, it feels like I've been working really, really hard because I, I can't hand on heart say I've held down two jobs. But as soon as I'm not doing my normal job, my mind has been on other stuff. So what I'm really looking forward to, and I've got a load of things lined up of, that's a day where I just need to think about this because I know I need a full day to think about it without distractions, without thinking I'm doing this with a shift in the evening. And I know that means for setting up the business, there's a going to be a bit of delay. I, I can't walk straight out of my current job and straight into this new, uh, new venture. Um, but I feel I'm going at the right pace. So I'm not pushing myself too much but I'm not leaving it all yeah. to uh, to starting afresh. I, mean, I, I think, again, courage is another word that's <laughs> come into yeah. my mind when it comes to actually how you push through despite the pressures of your time and balancing that with family and, yeah. and all of that jazz. Um, you, you've got to want to do it. you know. And uh, commitment yeah. as well. Like you've really got to want it. And I guess it's there for a reason, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, you know, especially in the business world. I mean, the other day I did a podcast with another doctor and talking about failing fast. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you think you want to do something, try it as quickly as possible. If it doesn't feel right to you, then you can move on. Yeah. Or you do it for a bit. It's like, actually, no, this, this isn't going to work for me. So you move on and at least you, you've done it. And that's kind of, you know, you can move past it and not have to think yeah. about, oh, what if? So I, I think that that's really impressive. And um, so to actually get going back to the, the actual, the work. Yeah. So in leaving medicine and going essentially full time, some of the challenges that I faced actually doing, I'm still doing both, is actually my time and how I as you've kind of highlighted how I managed that yeah. compared yeah. to my time that was managed by the hospital, yeah. <laughs> whoever I was working with. Yeah. And what I found is when I, when I moved predominantly to like my own business type stuff, I was really like lax with my time. I was like, Oh, I could just work any hours. I didn't have any kids at that time. Yeah. And I found quite quickly on that, that that just was not sustainable at all. Um, you know, having like things like scheduling breaks, yeah, yeah <laughs> the yeah. day things like saying we're only going to do a certain amount of calls a day. I'm only going to be you know, like being very specific as to what you do in the time that you have, yeah. Um, because I mean, I, I don't, I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more about how you found it, and I, I guess you haven't completely kind of delved into what that's going to be like. No, but I have interesting that you should, but have you, I'm sure you've thought about it. Like, what, how are you going to protect your time? Make sure you've got time for your family, yeah. all of that stuff. Doing yeah. all the admin that comes with running a business. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I, as I say, I haven't had a proper week of my normal, my new work to, to put yeah. for the test. But interestingly, even though from emergency medicine, it's as you know, it's it's chaotic. You never know quite what you're going to get. I yeah. think for me to go forward conceptually, and this may go completely wrong. I need a timetable for my days, especially the days when I'm not meeting anyone, I'm not doing any teaching. Yeah, especially those days. <laughs> I need that time to 
but partly it's it's a timetable that helps me make the most of this opportunity so as you say you know i've got family i've got dogs i like to do exercise so okay i can work out in my day roughly when i'm going to do those things so i know if i'm sat at my desk all day i'm not going to be productive by about midday so well fine and i know that i work well first thing in the morning so i haven't quite written this down i probably need to in some form but i think drop the kids off at school come and do a couple of hours work so i'll work well and then i will stop work and i'll go and walk the dogs or do some exercise so i I, i'm getting that benefit it's part of the autonomy that i want from this change and I can see broadly through the week or certainly through each day, I'll split everything up into those sort of bits of time. But in the knowledge, I can be really flexible and <laughs> kind of go, actually, I'm really, you know, working well on this project. I'm working well on this teaching session. Well, I can just carry on because who cares whether I have a break or not? But also, if I know that I'm struggling and this is a lot more creative than I'm used to. And I'm a full believer in if you want to be creative, you need to get out of the office and, and you know, be doing something different. That I will just have to go, fine, I'm going to stop now. I'm going to walk the dogs or whatever. And maybe that will actually help the creative process. But also, uh, come back to the family, know that when they are here, I can devote more time to them. And I've got two teenage girls. I probably don't want to spend more time with me, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's uh, life, isn't it? But at least I can be available um, uh, to be dad's taxi, <laughs> obviously. Uh, whereas at the moment, you know, what, one evening a week I'm, I'm working and I'm doing night shifts. So I'm, I'm tired and I, I'm, I want to have that availability back for them. So I'm going to try and structure my week so that when I'm needed as a dad, I can be here without saying, sorry, I can't, I can't be there. Mm-hmm. Unless there's a specific external thing that I know that I have to go to but I I think all my teaching so far is going to be Monday to Friday between nine and five so it shouldn't have any effect on those those other things and the stuff that I need to work on I can sit in and over. So sure I mean I I think that those are really important points that doctors who are listening really need to consider especially if you are going to be more in charge of your time it can easily run away with you like it has done for me on multiple occasions. Especially the times where you don't have any dedicated project work, like what are you going to be doing in that time? And it's really important to, I mean, these are the things you might not have thought about, but having some time for strategy on your business, yeah. business development type stuff, like really mapping your market or mapping even the service delivery that you do. How can you make that better? How can you change it? Reviewing all of that stuff we do in, in medicine, actually, but just translating that into the, the, your practice as a, as, as whoever you want to be in your own self-employed yeah. business. Um, and actually my next question is, so we talked about you starting work with a whole range of different companies and organizations through connections and networks. I'm sure one of the questions that a lot of doctors really will have is like, how do you price yourself? How do you make yeah, decisions on that? Basically I have no and- idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but, but this is a brilliant thing about it. I will answer your question a bit, but this is genuinely what gets me really excited about it because I know nothing about this. And I know I'm not selling myself very well for anyone who's listening to this. But yeah, this is the thing, like, somebody, somebody else can identify with that. Like, we, we start yeah. knowing yeah. nothing about this. Why would we? Yeah, absolutely. But I love that. I love the fact that, uh, you know, I, I literally know nothing. And I'm, I'm, I was talking to my accountant the other day. He's like, you need to do X, Y, and Z and think about VAT. Like, wow, I know nothing about this. I'm an intelligent person. I have lots of stuff in my brain, but I love learning. So it's actually a really nice thing about doing this. That I'm really, 
far more fired up and infused than I am about saying, well, I better keep up to date with the latest medical treatment. Yeah. So uh, I now can't remember what your actual question was. <laughs> having said, I mean, promised your work. Pricing, yeah. So, yeah, basically, I don't know um, for most things. Um, for uh, the work with Health Education England, they said, this is how much we'll offer you. And I was like, that sounds reasonable. Okay. So I never, you know, am I cutting myself short? But they're, they're a reasonably big organisation. They work with lots of different people. So I figure they probably know they're unlikely to be uh, pulling a fast one on me. With the work that I do with GP surgeries, obviously I have an in with my wife as a GP that she has a good understanding of what they pay for external people to do stuff. Because mm-hmm. I'm very conscious I'm coming in saying... So there's a benchmark there that you're pretty much aware of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Interestingly, and this is a, a family story we love. So I used to deliver all the basic I sport teaching my wife's practice, and then they got a new practice manager who said, "This guy's too expensive. We'll get someone else." I was a bit miffed at that, uh, but then all the staff said, "Oh, where's the guy we normally get? Isn't that Nikki's husband? He's far better." <laughs> so you know, perhaps I had priced myself slightly wrong, but there was definitely a thing about getting engagement and uh, keeping the staff happy, and you know that's. I would rather work somewhere where perhaps I am a bit more expensive, but if the staff are more engaged with my teaching, apart from me getting paid better, <laughs> um, that's what I want from education. I want people to be engaged with it. And, you know, I, I am my own USP. I'm fully aware of that. And some people may like that and some people may not. But if they like it, then they're going to learn more. And that's what I want from my business is people to walk away going, I've learned something. Whereas there's so much education that's delivered by people who can't educate. Yeah. And just uh, they may have the skills in understanding, but not in delivering. Um, And uh, that is absolutely key to what I want to do is to make sure people walk away. I'm teaching statutory mandatory training, let's face it, certainly for the basic life supports. No one wants to be there. (laughs) But if I can deliver a session and people walk away going, wow, I have learned something and I enjoyed that. Oh, and the CQC are happy because all the staff members have been taught it. Well, I, I've, I've won with that. So I, I found there's a slight balance between that pricing and the being the educator that I want to be. Um, and I'm relying a lot on the feedback of the staff to say, get this guy in again because he's good. And I think that yeah. reflects in the practice that they go, well, yeah, he is a bit more expensive. But if the staff are more engaged with, Statman training. <laughs> exactly. Someone actually, I just wanted to go back and um, for people that don't know, USP, unique selling oh, points, unique yes, selling unique points, selling points. Yeah. stuff like that. Another podcast. But I think what's a really important point you highlighted there. I just want to recap. So, basic life support. Essentially, you know, anyone could teach that. <laughs> so anyone can yeah. train to teach yeah. that right these yeah. days. But your USP is. You are an emergency medicine consultant with over 20 years of experience in emergency. That's just in emergency medicine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in, in the marketing element, and someone said to me recently, reminded me, pricing is marketing. Okay, why yeah. Would yeah. You not, why would you not charge a premium for the fact yeah. that it's not just the BLS that you're selling, it's you that you're yeah. selling. It's everything that comes with you and your knowledge, your expertise, the yeah. practical work. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, they, they know that when I deliver that session, they're getting a few minutes 
with someone experienced emergency medicine because they will always ask every practice will always exactly. ask oh can i just ask this happened the other day exactly. um, what should i do so i'm in, improving my understanding of what people want to know but also they're getting more than just i'm delivering exactly. they're getting your consultancy input yeah yeah, yeah. Right. and that leads to further work absolutely yeah <laughs> And that bill helps you build your business and your practice and your credibility and everything else that comes with it. Absolutely. So in fact, you need, you don't need to be working with that many companies in, in the great scheme of things to actually earn a really good living. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Let's but, but already it's time and yeah. see where you are. But already, um, if anyone's but, listening, thinking, you know, I, he hasn't got a clue. I, I, <laughs> I generally don't have much of a clue what's going on. But just today... Mm. from some teaching that i'm giving next week i've already been recommended to, to another oh, there you practice go. There you so go. I, they don't even know my teaching could be absolutely rubbish but someone else has already picked up on this and i'm not fully marketing yet until i finish work just so i know i've got the, the capacity to take it on but there's something that i'm doing and you're probably far better to analyze referral. that than me. the best marketing is referral yeah so you, you can build your business solely on referral you don't have to need a website you don't need any of that jazz. You just yeah. need people to talk about you. You just need to be really good at what you do. Yeah. But you also need to charge at a reasonably decent level that communicates. It's just like, you know, you go to a hotel. You say, I'm going to go to a hotel for the weekend on a hot on holiday, right? You can either go to the Travelodge or you could go to the Ritz. Yeah. Right? And what are you expecting to pay at each of those? You know what you're going to be getting and you know what you're going to be paying. Yeah. Because... Yeah. You know, one's budget, one's premium. Yeah. Right. And they're completely different experiences. Same with when you're selling your services or you're selling a BLS. You've got one budget way of, of doing the teaching. You've got one premium way of doing the teaching. And you know what you're going to get. The yeah. Quality, the quality differences. Yeah. So, so yeah. An, an interesting yeah. part on um, the, the pricing, like I say, I've said it enough times. I don't really know what I'm doing. But it feels like I'm charging far too much. It genuinely feels how can I get away with doing this? But people are willing to pay. Like Sorry, say again? Why do you think it feels like that? Um, because I have no knowledge of the outside world. <laughs> you know, I know what I'm paid as a consultant and I know what I would charge the trust of us doing a locum or the, the locum You're money. You're doing it through a limited company, right? Um, I'm a sole trader. Oh, you're a sole um, trader. Yeah. But what I hadn't appreciated till uh, I was talking to someone about this the other day, they're saying, well, yeah, you're thinking on an hourly rate, but that hourly rate, if you do work with a trust as a locum, you've got all the benefits of being in the trust and you get your tax yeah. and, your oh, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm charging something per hour for the roof over my head, literally, to you know have my office, yeah. as well as the salary, as well as all the stuff to keep the business going yeah. and paying into it's, signals. Yeah, you know, I have to review all that. Sure. And it's you, so easy to forget. Yeah, you, you have to you have to price things differently yeah. when you are setting up your own business and like completely forget about NHS low campaign, yeah, all of that absolutely. stuff. It's in some ways it's completely irrelevant because as you've touched upon, you know, you are your own one-man band, yeah. <laughs> which yes. has to cover everything. Yeah. But also it's and then we talked about the Ritz, the Ritz and the Travel Lodge, like 
you know, you've got to really communicate the value, the transformational yeah. value you're offering, not yeah. only from the actually what you're going to do, but actually everything else that you're offering in that yeah. package. I mean, we, we've just run out of time and we could literally go on and there are so many different topics we could cover. But my last question to you is, I mean, like, like that also going back to you saying, oh, I don't know anything, it's been my journey. This is so important why we do this podcast now. Because really? there are going to be so many doctors who are at this stage and won't have a clue and can completely identify with you. And you'll remember this. And the fact that you're, you know, you are in this. So your memory is going to be more realistic than say it would be in a few years time where you probably forget a lot of the pains yeah, and the challenges absolutely. that absolutely. you face. So it's great. But like, what kind of tips would you give a doctor who's like you, who was you in January this year? So Top tips. Putting time aside to do a proper internet search. Now, we all look at stuff on the internet, but a proper, well-thought-out search strategy, almost like you're doing research, clinical research. You're doing research for your job. So I wasn't aware of half the stuff that I am. And, I, you know, even you guys, um, you know, I, I knew vaguely um, uh, about the work that you, you did, but a bit of time just looking into things a bit more depth to go, actually that's an interesting podcast or that's an interesting blog. And you know, when you read things or listen to stuff and you go, Oh, they've just mentioned something else that's interesting. And you sort of the, the proper getting stuck down the, the web rather than just going, I'll follow that up at some point. I was making notes and going, no, that podcast has been recommended. So I'm definitely going to listen to that. That website has been recommended. And, and literally I would spend a day each weekend just going, I'm going to follow up all these things. So just keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. And some things are complete dead ends and some things you kind of go, oh, wow, I had no idea. So public liability insurance, great example. I had no idea I needed it. No concept. I'd heard the phrase, didn't know anything about it. Someone mentions it. I go, right, that's now a thing. So I end up with a list of these are things I'm interested in. And these are things, wow, I really ought to, to get a handle on. And it was literally just by doing that in a, a structured, strategic way, um, you know, on Facebook, uh, Twitter I'm not a huge social media user but you know it's you get better quality of um, being able to quickly look through things on there but you need oh. to look in depth elsewhere so that's that's what drove me yeah. those be my top tips there's loads of people out there doing similar things to you you've just got to work to so if people want to reach out to you for a bit of a inspiration and advice having watched this how do they best get hold of you um so my work email and i still <laughs> i still have strong slides yes i have my Are you work on LinkedIn? email um i'm on linkedin i haven't updated my profile properly yet because uh, i'm okay work, work email is the best so way. my work email is is jmaceducation at gmail.com or jmaceducation.com is the website when you're famous <laughs> you may need to change that <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time james really appreciate it no worries, it's a pleasure talking to you, David.